Revelation 2.20, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, Thyatira, the unrepentant or tolerant church, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we look at this one verse today, and there's a lot packed in here, that you would just cause your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and minds. Lord, we've talked about guarding our hearts and minds, stealing our hearts and minds against the deception that's being poured out upon this world. And we know that it has to happen to make way for the one world government, the one world economic system, the one world religion, which will ultimately be overseen by the Antichrist and his henchman, the false prophet. So these things must come. But we thank you that our hope is in you. Our blessed, sure, and certain hope is in you, Father, you, Lord Jesus, and you, Holy Spirit. Bless this time of Bible study, we ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. The late, great J. Vernon McGee, in commenting on this church of Thyatira, says the church at Thyatira is representative of Romanism, as in the Roman Catholic Church, which takes us into the Dark Ages from A.D. 590 to approximately A.D. 1000. He says, concerning the historical period of the Dark Ages, which the church at Thyatira represents, pagan practices and idolatry were mingled with Christian works and worship. That's called syncretism, by the way. And it's making a big comeback in the church today. New Mexico has a history of syncretism where the Catholic Church came in and in their efforts to convert the Native Americans allowed the Native Americans to introduce some of their pagan worship practices and intermingle it with Catholicism. There's a reason why this is called the land of enchantment. I remember many years ago when I'd first moved here, uh, the church that I was with at the time we were looking for a place to meet. It was a new church plant, and we were looking at some of the schools. Right up in this area somewhere, I forget what school it was, but we went into the multi-purpose room, which would have been theoretically our meeting room had we rented that school. And all around the cafeteria or the multi-purpose room were pictures of kachinas. I don't know how many of you realize this, but kachinas are representative of demonic entities. Did you know that? Have you ever heard of the skinwalkers in the Native American culture? Again, there is much about the Native American, and I'm not ragging on Native Americans because you can find this stuff all over the world, but the Native American religions are steeped in demonic worship, you know, that sort of thing. And so syncretism has been practiced in New Mexico for several hundred years, and now, as of late, we're seeing, you know, I'm remembering way back uh, this group that I was involved with for a while began to see the warning signs that they were blending Christianity with new, new Age thought. And that's another thing. Churches having yoga classes seems innocuous enough, but talk to somebody who's really in the know, like the late, great, Carol Matriciana and others. Jo Johanna Michelson, the beautiful side of evil, who these ladies spoke in our church several years ago. All of these things are the enemy's subtle ways of infiltrating the true church. Syncretism, blending, 
New Age, Hinduism, Buddhism, and so forth. And then, of course, one of the newest configurations, Chrislam. How many of you heard about that? With some of these churches getting together with Islamic folks and having a Chrislam meeting. In fact, Rick Warren was endorsing that a while back. Chrislam. There you go. Can't beat them, join them, right? Oh, my goodness. The tolerant church. If you can't beat them, join them. The papacy during this time period was elevated to a place of secular power under Gregory the First, A.D. 590, and later by Gregory the Seventh, better known as Hildebrand, A.D. 1073 to 1085. Again, I don't go out of my way to bash the Catholic Church. But at the same time, we can't deny that there are a lot of problems with the Catholic Church. And one thing I can guarantee you that God never intended that there be some powerful man known as the Pope having this global, worldwide, dominating profile and power over this massive group of people. And if you study history down through the centuries, the popes, again, as Vernon McGee says here, became powerful in the secular world also. Influencing and controlling kings in France and England and all over. I guarantee you God never intended that. And one of the problems is, if you happen to get a really gnarly pope like the one in power now, one of the things I always commended the Catholic Church for was their strong stand against abortion. Strong stand against homosexuality. And under this pope, all these things are eroding and deteriorating. He is a, I suspect, a Marxist communist himself. He's promoting a climate change agenda as being a spiritual issue. And many other things like that. So that's Thyatira. The introduction of rituals and man's doctrine replaced personal faith in Jesus Christ, worship of the virgin and child, and the mass were incorporated into the church service. So these things, before this time of the Dark Ages, 590 to, to uh, 1000, these things were not in place. So anybody that would tell you, well, this is the one true church, goes all the way back to St. Peter, who was the first pope, that's a I'm sorry, please excuse me. I, God loves the Catholic people. I love them. I know some that are really great Christians. But these things were not being practiced by the early church. And Peter was not the first pope because there is no pope in the Bible. Did you know that? No such thing. No pope, no poop. That was um, Pink Panther, Peter Seller. The poop. Okay, anyway. Get a kick out of that. Another thing, purgatory became absolute doctrine, which is totally unbiblical. You either go to heaven or you don't. There's no holding tank for the semi-qualified. Okay? Well, you're not bad enough for hell and you're not good enough for heaven, so we're going to stick you over here until somebody prays you out. That is so unbiblical, it's ridiculous. 
And I've said it many times, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you might hope and pray that maybe if you're good enough, you might get to go to heaven. He died on the cross so that you could know that you know that you know that you're going there. If you think that Jesus went through everything he went through to send you to purgatory, you're sadly mistaken. Really, that should be good news to everybody, including the Catholics. It can save you a lot of time and money. Because you have to purchase those uh, indulgences, right? <laughs> okay, we don't want to go any further in that direction, I guess. But Mass for the dead. You know who else does something like that? The Mormons. They get baptized for the dead. Under the assumption that no matter who you were, what you did, what you believed, if you're my dead ancestor, I can get baptized for you and you get to go to heaven. That's not biblical either. We have memorial services for those who have died, and obviously the ones for believers are much more enjoyable than the ones for non-believers. But we're not going to accomplish anything on their behalf when we have a memorial. That's to remember them, to honor them, and to comfort one another. But to have a, a mass for the dead where, you're, again, you're trying to help them get into heaven, that's just not biblical. A couple of counterfeit documents, one called the Donation of Constantine and another one called the Decretals of Isidore, were sent out to give power and rulership to the Pope. And just like when Jezebel killed Naboth and persecuted God's prophets, the Catholic Church carried out the Inquisition during this period. How many of you have heard of the, the Inquisition? So sadly, these are some of the things that have really put a bad taste in people's mouth regarding Christianity is because of these abusive practices with certain segments of the church. So again, just to give you some more background on Thyatira and its historical context. Now again, as I've mentioned before, as we look at these churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, and on down the line, there was an immediate application for those churches right there in the first century. Jesus is talking to them. But then there's also an historical application, as we've been noting, that each of these churches has represented a certain period of time in church history. And then there's a third application, and that is that as we look at the world around us, we can see that the spirit within each of these seven churches is still operating today. As I just mentioned, the uh, tolerant church like Thyatira, the unrepentant, tolerant church is alive and well and really making a comeback in these last days. Smyrna, the persecuted church. Yes, believers are still being persecuted all over the world. Ephesus, the church that's doing a lot of good deeds, sound doctrine, but has departed from their first love. That church is alive and well today also. Now the commendation, again, that we covered last week in verse 19, I know your works or your deeds. And he enumerates them. Jesus enumerates those deeds. Love, agape, service, diakonos, like a deacon, ministry. Love, service, faith, patience, endurance, perseverance. And as for your works or deeds, the last are more than the first. So they were even 
in, in terms of their love, service, faith, works, and so forth, they were actually growing and increasing in those areas. That's all part of the commendation, but now we get to the rebuke in verse 20. Nevertheless, oh, doggone it. <laughs> we were doing great up until that point, right? Now we've got a nevertheless in there. I have a few things against you. I guess it's a gentle way to put it, but too bad it wasn't just, well, I just have one thing. Like Ephesus, you've lost your first love, but it's a few things. Ephesus, if you recall, did have sound doctrine. Jesus commended them for hating the practices of the Nicolaitans, the followers of Nicholas, who was actually one of the seven men in the book of Acts who was appointed to wait upon the Greek and Hebraic widows because they were men found full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit and of good report. So he started out well, but he became the leader of a sect, a false sect within a church. The uh, antinomianism, the lawlessness. Not surprising then that this church has fallen prey to that. Ephesus had the sound doctrine, but they had forsaken their first love. Thyatira was walking in love, as we read in verse 19. In fact, even growing in it. But was beginning, as we will see, to fall away from sound doctrine. And see, I, I mentioned this not too long ago, that the enemy wants to get us off in one left field, right field, some extreme. And again, that's why so many people are turned off to Christianity because they see all these extreme groups. On the one side, the extreme fundamentalists, they have the sound doctrine, but there's no love. It becomes legalism. It becomes Pharisaicalism or Phariseeism. And then you have these loving groups, but for some reason they've They've come to the place where they think if you have enough love, you don't need sound doctrine, right? You just love each other all the time. And you just go with the flow. Oh, we don't ever, we don't ever plan out our messages or our teachings here because we just want to be led by the Spirit. And you get into all kinds of weird stuff that way. We need both. Thyatira was walking in love but was beginning to fall away from sound doctrine. Both are necessary for a healthy church. Love without doctrine is lawlessness or liberalism. Doctrine without love is legalism. And here it is. The first thing he has against them, you allow or tolerate that woman Jezebel. I told you before, I've been in every kind of church there is, traveling all over the world for seven years, playing music, Christian music. It was a great, great experience just to see every kind of church, every denomination, every style of ministry and so forth. But I witnessed this with, particularly within the charismatic and Pentecostal churches where because of this Thyatira spirit, Weird things would happen. And even though the leaders, the pastor and the leaders may not be comfortable with what's happening, they're afraid to take the leadership and put it to a stop because they don't want to be perceived as unloving, you see. It's just like what we see happening out in the world with all the sinful practices going on. And We talked about the conscience. But we've gotten to a place now in our world, in our nation, where even people who still have a conscience are afraid to speak out. 
because they don't want to be labeled as a bigot, a hater, a homophobe, a xenophobe, a misogynist, blah, 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 blah. And so that's how you become a tolerant church. We see the churches tolerating cohabitation by people who aren't married. We see them tolerating gay marriage, homosexuality, lesbianism, because they don't want to be labeled as unloving, inconsiderate, hateful, bigoted, and so forth. You allow or tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now, some uh, scholars have postulated that perhaps that really was her name, but more probably that she was a well-known woman within the church whose actions made her a contemporary counterpart of the notorious Jezebel of 1 Kings 16 and 21 and 2 Kings chapter 9. Jonathan Kahn, how many of you have heard of Jonathan Kahn? I forget the name of the book, the one where he talks about uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton and likens them unto Ahab and Jezebel. So Jonathan Kahn said it, so you can get mad at him, not me, if that makes you mad. But whether she was really named Jezebel, and I've heard many people over the years use that term, the Jezebel spirit. Well, Thyatira had a female oracle called the Sambath that presided over a lucrative fortune-telling business. This focus on female-centered religion, by the way, that's happening big time today as well. You see these cars with uh, stickers about the goddess on them, right? And some of the uh, radical feminists beginning to refer to God as she. Well, they had that going on in Thyatira, female-centered religion. And that might have paved the way for Jezebel's acceptance by the, by the church there. And again, as we see this spirit of Thyatira operating here in the last days, we've, we'll get on to this. I'm going to hold off on that thought for a little while. But they were tolerating or putting up with or allowing this woman, Jezebel, in their church to usurp the male authority in the church, just like Queen Jezebel had done with Ahab in First and Second Kings. Ahab was the puppet king. Jezebel was really in control and in charge. Now before your, the hair on the back of your neck bristles at this next scripture, remember we have to love the truth, and we'll talk about the context 1 Timothy 2.12, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Adam ultimately is held accountable because he's the spiritual leader. He should have stopped Eve. He should have refused to participate. He did not, but he was not deceived. Eve was deceived. And as you, as you go through the scriptures, and even as you look at this in a, a secular context, again, in spite of all the deception in the world today, God did make men and women different. And there's an old expression, vive la différence, right? Historically, we've enjoyed that difference. That's what we're attracted to one another. You got things I don't have. You got, I got things you don't have. Let's get together, right? 
That's the way we're created. God created us to complement one another. That's why he refers in Genesis to the woman as the man's help meet, not slave, coming alongside. God created woman out of a rib from the side of the man, right? In some of my wedding ceremonies, I'll point out how that's an indicator that God intended man and woman to walk side by side through life, working together as a team. But this usurping of male authority in the church. If we're honest and objective, and we don't fall prey to, again, all the hype and maneuvering and manipulation that we've been subjected to throughout most of our lives, feminism, women deserve to be treated fairly, right? Loved, honored, respected. We were talking recently about the issue of Black Lives Matter, the history of slavery and all that. The fact of the matter, people of every race, color, and creed have abused one another since the beginning of time. Why? Because we all have a sin nature. Does that mean everybody's an abuser? No. Although many people would like you to believe that today, particularly if you're of a certain skin color. Everyone of this certain skin color is now considered to be evil and racist and really unworthy of even living. That's what some of these radical liberals are saying. We should be eradicated, some of us. But again, everybody mistreats everybody from time to time because we're not perfect. We're sinners. We are fallen. The human race is in a fallen condition. So that means we can't throw out God's principles just because some abuse them. Would you agree with that? See, God's truth is the plumb line, but now people are trying to pull that down to their own level. Instead of realizing and recognizing the goal is to allow God, through the truth of his word, the power of his Holy Spirit, elevate us. That's how it's supposed to work. A pastor friend of mine many years ago used the, the term redemption and lift. And there is a historical evidence that for every group of people, every community, every culture, every society that has embraced true Christianity, it's caused a lifting in every area of their lives, economically, mentally, emotionally, in every way. It's called redemption and lift. Because when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, there's a major change that takes place. And you begin to see things the way God sees them. And you begin to follow the truth of his word and pattern your life and live your life based upon that truth. And that inevitably results in a better quality of life. Because it increases your work ethic. It increases everything good in you. Because the only thing good in you is God. So I'm just trying to frame the context here for what Paul is saying. All that to say this. The fact of the matter, there's, there's no judgment here. There's no better or worse. Women are more emotional. Men are more practical or logical. I heard somebody say the word logical. Women are created to be nurturers, comforters, right? Historically, traditionally, the man goes out to battle 
It really troubles me when I see footage of women in combat. That should not be happening. But they've been brainwashed to believe that they should be in combat. Women were to stay at home. And see, now when I say that, it sounds negative. Why is it negative to be able to stay in your home and create a place of beauty and comfort for the kids, for the husband to come home to after a hard day at work? That's how life was for thousands of years on this planet. Not, you read about the Proverbs woman, Proverbs 31. I mean, she was an entrepreneur. You know, she's creating, she's buying land and doing all this stuff. So again, you've got to take all of God's word as a whole. God never said the woman has to stay home and be barefoot and pregnant. But, I mean, in any aspect of life, you have different people in different positions, different roles, right? Randy's in construction. You have framers. You have roofers, right? And when people hone in on a certain area, Ryan, too, that's where you get your best work, right? There's that old expression, jack of all trades, master of none. The woman's role is not inferior to the man's. It's just different. And honestly, if I look at them in their traditional perspective, I'd be tempted to be a woman. <laughs> and there's some hard stuff. Giving birth, man. That's no picnic. I don't know if I'd want to go there. But again, when you look at the traditional role of the man to go out and work hard, bring home the bacon, as it were, go to war. See, both of those roles have their benefits and their burdens, right? And it's interesting, but when, when you look at that and you spread it all out, I think it works out pretty well, pretty evenly. But when you start doing this role reversal thing, and you've got more and more women in the workplace and in positions of power and authority, they're not built for that. And when you start getting people out of their proper place and their proper role, that's another thing that starts messing with the mind. You wind up with these Mr. Moms staying at home while the wife goes to work. And now we see the diminishing in our society of masculinity, of strength. It's denigrated. Toxic masculinity. Have you heard that one? You're too masculine, buddy. That's toxic. I'm sorry. I'll try to do better. It messes with the mind. It tweaks people. Women are experiencing health problems they never had before because they're fulfilling roles they shouldn't be fulfilling. They weren't created for that. Here I am, Mr. Misogynist. God knows best. He knows what he's doing. This does not mean that a woman cannot have ministry in the church. From what we see in the New Testament, it seems that the primary role for women in roles of leadership in the church had to do with children's ministry, Sunday school, women's ministry. Obviously, that's the best way to go, women ministering to women. A lot less opportunity for weird things to happen. School administrator, which my wife fulfilled faithfully for many years. Now we have Mrs. Cordova. Worship leader like Nikki, there's nothing wrong with that. 
But it does mean that women are not to take the lead over men in the church or be in the place of imparting doctrine to the flock of God. Again, because we see that Eve was deceived. She was vulnerable. Satan appealed to her on the emotional level. There are other scriptures that talk about that. Hebrews 13, 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch over your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. That's the New King James. I think the NIV, it says, men who must give an account. Backing up Paul's words here in 2 Timothy 2.12, there are no indications whatsoever in the New Testament of any female pastors or apostles. Again, that doesn't mean women are inferior. Because of their greater level of sensitivity, oftentimes women have a greater degree of discernment than men. Can't tell you the number of times my wife has warned me of things. Most of the time I didn't listen because I'm a man. But she was right. Acts 20, 28 through 30. Therefore, take heed to yourselves, Paul writes to the elders at Ephesus, and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. It is the responsibility of the men in the church to impart sound doctrine to our wives, our kids, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can't give to others that which we do not possess ourselves. 2 Timothy 2.15 do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman that does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Just as Adam was held accountable for his wife's sin, as I mentioned, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, not in Eve. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And so again, along with each role that God has established, in marriage, in the church, there is a certain level of accountability. In the book of James, James says, Be ye not many teachers, knowing you will incur a stricter judgment. So we, pastors, elders, husbands, fathers, will be held accountable if we fail to guide our families and our church in the right direction. And we all know this, that women have an incredible power to influence and affect the men in their lives. Remember Helen of Troy, the Trojan horse, that whole story? Some, like Jezebel, both of them, the historical Jezebel and the one here in Thyatira, used it for their own selfish purposes. It's interesting, when you think back um, on uh, wars and so forth, remember the Matahari? Historically, I don't know if they teach any of this in school anymore, but and then there was Tokyo Rose in World War II uh, harassing the troops, demoralizing them over the radio. Why did they use women? What do the athletes always say when they're on camera? Hi, Mom. You rarely ever hear one of them say, Hi, Dad. 
So any, anybody that would think that what we're talking about here today, and it is all biblically based, anybody that would think women are being diminished or demeaned, that's absolutely not true. There's another expression, behind every great man there's a great woman. It's just understanding what your place is so that you can have maximum effectiveness and also be able to compliment your partner. Help them be all the... That's another thing we overlook so often, whether it be in marriage, in the church, in the secular world. Our calling as believers is to help others become all that they can be in Christ. Putting others before ourselves, right? Whether it's in marriage, whether it's in church, in every walk of life. And when we do that, when we focus on helping others become all that they can be, then God takes care of us. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The women have incredible power to influence and affect the men in their lives. It can be manipulation, or it can be motivation. Again, these Jezebels used it for their own selfish purposes. Others use it to help their men stay on the right path. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about women honoring your husbands. You know, winning them over, not with words, but with your own chaste behavior. Being a godly witness and example to them. We will never influence anybody for the positive with nagging and ragging and but we can influence them with our own godly behavior. So others use it to help their men stay on the right path. So ladies, you need to understand it is within your power to either manipulate or motivate the men in your lives. I would encourage you to choose wisely. Manipulation will not end well. Motivation certainly will. Notice she calls herself a prophetess. So her so-called gift of prophecy was self-proclaimed. She calls herself a prophetess. I've had people come through the years into the church, and some of them will hand me a business card with their name on it, and it'll say prophet, evangelist, so forth. And it's my contention, whatever you are in Christ, if you really are that, you don't have to say it. Just be it. And God will raise you up. God will validate you and confirm you but here she is identifying herself as a prophetess. You know, it's an interesting trick of the trade that people will use the phrase, thus saith the Lord. And so she would have made it difficult for people to question her authority. Thus saith the Lord. This is the word of God. A lot of times we are not careful enough with this phrase, God told me. It shouldn't be thrown around in an irresponsible, haphazard manner. Sometimes as Christians, we use this phrase to validate the choices and decisions we ourselves have made when God has little or nothing to do with it. God told me. It's God's fault. Blame God. And so for any woman to minister in the local church, she must be in submission to her own husband and to the male leadership in the church. 
If she's not and she attempts to exercise authority in the church, she is a Jezebel. And churches that tolerate this will end up or wind up like Thyatira. I mentioned earlier this goddess worship there in Thyatira, the temple of Sambath, the oracle. And this is one of the characteristics of the Thyatira church, a female-dominated ministry. Again, we're seeing that powerfully in these last days. Almost every denomination, Protestant as well as the Catholic Church, is now ordaining women to the priesthood and to the, to the pastorship role in the church. Most probably view this as a, a great awakening, a great enlightening, finally Women are getting their proper due, their proper place. They are now pastoring, leading congregations. The only problem with that is it's not biblical. It's not biblical. That's not how God established the church. And believe me, ladies, that should be a relief to you. Everybody thinks that being a pastor is, wow, that's the ultimate man. The big glory gig, you get to stand up in front of everybody and preach and teach and get all this adoration. Well, I haven't seen that part of it too much. <laughs> and that's okay. I don't want it. I shouldn't. Nobody should want it. That's what destroys people. Do you know that? We were never created to be worshipped. Only God is to be worshipped. What has destroyed people like Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson, on down the line, and even some of... These higher-ups in the church that have fallen, you begin to believe your own press. You begin to think you're all that. That's not good. And we do a great disservice to those in the ministry when we raise them up on a pedestal and even worship them. That is wrong. God will not share His worship with anybody. He will not share His glory with anybody. And one way or another, sooner or later, those who become the recipients of that knowingly or willingly will pay the price. There's an old expression, the grass is always greener on the other side. And so you have women looking at the male side and saying, well, they've got it better than we do. They're running the show. This is a patriarchy. We need to tear this thing down. The grass isn't greener on the other side. You know where the grass is greener? Right where God planted you. Right where he wants you to be. That's where the grass is greener. And you can, you can find comfort and peace in knowing that you are created for a purpose and you're fulfilling that purpose, whatever it is. One is not better than the other. But when we start trying to flip everything around and change it from the way God made it, well, look around at the world around you. We're supposed to be making progress. Right? Do you see progress? I don't. We're going backwards at a rapid pace. And it has to happen for Jesus to come back, and therefore I'm all for it. God never said it would be easy. How many of you believe and know that Christ has been glorified? He's been exalted. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He has eyes like flaming fires. He has feet like burnished brass. He has a, a beard and hair 
white as wool. When you see him, it's going to blow your mind. How did he get there? Golgotha, Calvary, the cross. The way to glory runs through the cross. Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So Jezebel had not been recognized or authorized by the leaders of the church, and yet they let her get away with it. They tolerated her, so Jesus is holding them accountable. Any woman to minister in the local church, she must be in submission to her own husband, to the male leadership in the church. If she's not, and she attempts to exercise authority in the church, she is a Jezebel. The result of Queen Jezebel's usurpation of her husband's authority was that the turning away of Israel from the worship of the true God to idolatry, Baal worship. Remember that Elijah went up against the 400 prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel. Those guys were the henchmen of Queen Jezebel. Ultimately, the destruction of the nation and bondage as the people were taken into captivity. We'll pick it up next week with the next thing or the, actually the, the definition of what he has against them, where she's teaching and seducing God's servants to commit sexual immorality. So we'll pick it up there next week. Let's stand. Father God, we pray that you'd help us all to absorb these truths. Lord, not to be prejudiced or biased or uh, reactionary, but to love the truth. Lord, to love your truth. Perhaps there's been a focus today on the ladies, but Lord, there's other times when the focus is going to be on the men. In fact, it already is because the leaders of the church there were the ones responsible for allowing this to happen. So we all have our different roles, our different parts to play. Lord, help us not to always be looking on the other side of the fence for the greener grass, but to recognize that the greener grass is right here where you've planted us. Lord, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. All are one in Christ. Men are not better than women. Women are not better than men. But we are created in different ways for different purposes. As we work together, we complement one another. But Lord, in order to have a healthy church, it needs to be designed and laid out and operated in the manner that you have designed it. And we see that so much of the church has departed from that today, Lord. So much of the church has become like Thyatira, the tolerant church, the unrepentant church. Just giving way to false doctrine, false teachings, not following the model that you've laid out for us. Lord, within us, within our sin nature, there is a rebellious spirit that wants to do our own thing, resist the way that you would have us go. Help us to be Submissive to you, Lord, compliant to you, to honor you, to love your truth. And Lord, to be willing to swim up, swim upstream, to go against the tide, that we might be like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't want to be the tolerant church. We want to be the obedient church. And Father, now is, before we close, I just want to take a moment if anybody needs prayer this morning, please raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Whatever it might be, you, 
And it might be for you, it might be for someone else. Okay, I see those hands. God sees them more importantly. Father, you see each one that's raised their hand this morning and you know their hearts. You know what's on their heart and on their mind. Whether it's for themselves or someone else, Lord, whether it be a health issue, an economic issue, a mental and emotional issue, a spiritual issue. Father, you see each one right now and you love them. You promised to give good gifts to your children. You promised that if we would ask anything in Jesus' name, you would hear that prayer. So, Father, I lift each one up to you right now, and I ask you to hear their hearts cry. Lord, provide the answer to their concern. Again, whether if it's healing, we pray for physical health and healing and strength. If it's economic, we pray for provision, which you have promised to make for us. Father, if it's a mental, emotional issue that you would just give them soundness of mind, that you would cast out all fear with your perfect love. Lord, if it's wisdom and guidance, you promised if any of us lacked wisdom, we could ask you and you'd give it to us. Lord, you know each one, you know each heart. Please bless them. Give them the desires of their hearts, Father, as their hearts are set on you. We pray that you would receive this final offering of worship as we close. Pray for safety, Lord, as we go out to eat or go home or wherever it might be. Stay here in fellowship for a while. Bless the fellowship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.